Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Well, we're uh, moving on to another big question today. And uh, the big question today is uh, kind of a follow-up. It kind of builds on what we uh, talked about uh, last week. If you remember uh, last week, you do, right? So you say, yes, I thought about it all week, Pastor. It was awesome, you know. Uh, yeah, we talked about the second coming last time. Last time, the question was, you know, when is Jesus going to come? And so we talked about the second coming, and you know, that we can count on that that's going to happen. We don't know the hour of the day. Uh, but there's some signs. We can see that stuff happening. We're closer today than we were at any other point in time in history. Um, the point is, Jesus is coming back. Well, um, today is kind of a follow-up that leads us to uh, try to answer the question uh, for us of well. What about this tribulation language stuff? What, what about this rapture stuff? What, what about, and uh, try to ask those big questions and go into the scripture and uh, discern from, uh, from the word uh, some of the answers to these, these uh, big questions. So today, the big question that's in front of us is, uh, when will Jesus return? Now, we're only going to talk today about just the answer to that question from a biblical perspective. When is Jesus going to return? We're not going to get into all the details of what's going to happen when he returns. Uh, that's going to be next week when we try to answer the question, what about the tribulation? Okay, that's next week. So come back for that, kind of, you know, phase two of the story. But today what we want to center on is just trying to glean from Scripture uh, the biblical truth that just says, okay, what about this Jesus coming back thing? Uh, what, when is he coming back? Right? That's the ultimate question. Uh, in order to kind of answer the question, the first place I think we need to start is to make sure we're all on the same page and understand he's coming back. Uh, even though uh, U.S. Uh, and World Report says that 61% of Americans believe he's, he's uh, going to come back, interestingly enough, 41% of those Americans believe it's going to happen in their lifetime, which is kind of interesting because uh, we don't have that many Christians in a percentage basis in America, right? So, so the world kind of understands this. The world kind of gets this doctrine of ours. They kind of understand the reality that, you know, one day Jesus is going to come back. But we got to make sure as we get into the question today that we're all at the same place. And we hear it from Jesus. We understand the truth of this doctrine that one day Jesus will come again. So if you look with me at uh, John uh, 14, and we ask the question, will Jesus come again? We're going to hear from Jesus himself, right? Uh, he says to his disciples, don't be worried. Have faith in God. Have faith in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. I wouldn't tell you this unless it was true. I'm going there to prepare a place for each of you. And after I have done this, I will come back and take you with me. Then we'll be together. Now, there, there's comforting words in that, in that text, right? I mean, Jesus is telling us, look, he's going to leave us, but don't worry. He's going to prepare a place for us. And, and that feels really good, right? But by the time we get to the end of those comforting words, he, he gives us just the promise. He just says, look, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And after i got everything all set, then what am I going to do? I'm going to come back. You with me? I'm going to come back. Just kind of straightforward from Jesus. Here's the plan. I'm going to ascend. I'm going to go prepare for you. And when i got all things set, I'm coming back. And then when I come back, you're going to be with me. And we're going to be together eternally. Okay? So we get from Jesus himself just the simple truth, the simple promise that says, hey, I'm coming back. Now what happens is God gives us an affirmation of that truth 
when Jesus ascends. You remember when Jesus rose from the dead? He rose from the dead and he hung out for about uh, 40 days with his followers. And then uh, finally, after those 40 days, uh, he ascended to be with the Father. And if you go into the book of Acts, you get the experience of, of that ascension. And then you get a confirmation of the truth that he's coming back. It's in Acts 1. It says this. After Jesus had said this, while they were watching, he was taken up into a cloud. They couldn't, could not see him. But as he went up, they kept looking into the sky. And suddenly, two men dressed in white clothes were standing there beside them. They said, why are you men in Galilee standing there, here, looking up into the sky? Jesus has been taken to heaven. But he will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. What's the confirmation word there? Well, the angels come. And we know what angels do. We talked about them before in the big questions. That angels are those messengers that bring us that confirming word, whatever it is God wants us to get, right? They bring us the word that God wants. So here, Jesus has said, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to come back and, um, and we're going to be together. He rises from the dead. He goes to prepare that place, and we get angels who show up. And the angels show up with a confirming word that says, Hey, you don't need to think about this now. You don't need to have your heads up in the clouds. Don't be watched. Get busy, because what he said is true. He's going to come back. You see the confirming word? Are we all on the same page that we understand and believe that Scripture teaches and this, and it becomes obvious here, we're talking about um, eschatology. We're talking about apocalyptic language. You're talking about biblical prophecy. Now, there, there are two kinds of biblical prophecy. One kind of biblical prophecy is easy to understand. That's the kind where you are standing here in the future looking backwards at what's happened, and you listen to biblical prophecy, and you're able to look backwards and say, oh yeah, fulfilled, I see it. So like Isaiah makes a prophecy and says, a young woman shall bear a child and we shall call him Emmanuel, God with us, right? That was a prophecy. And we stand in our time and we look backwards at that prophecy and say, cool, totally fulfilled, right? We got it, Jesus, absolutely, that's easy stuff, right? The trouble is, when it comes to talking about tribulation and the end times and all that stuff, we're talking about forward prophecy, not backward prophecy. We're talking about forward prophecy, trying to understand what the Bible has said and look forward in time and say, I think that's what it's talking about right there. It's trying to project into the future and come up with an understanding of when, where, and how this biblical prophecy is coming true. That's why there's so many different views when it comes to talking about end times, time of tribulation, and the second coming of Christ. When it comes to the premillennialists, uh, they look at Scripture, specifically they look at Daniel, and they look at uh, the book of Revelations, uh, little some uh, passages in 1 Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians. Uh, they look at those passages, and they've come up with this timeline of understanding of different periods of what's going to happen. As you can see, basically they say, well, okay, there's the cross experience, uh, then there's going to be the age of the church. That's what we're in right now. There's going to be the age of the church. And then at some point, at some point in time, there's going to be the rapture. There's going to be this experience of kind of a secret second return of Jesus where the saints are just raptured away. That all believers, all the living believers, are just going to be 
raptured away, hence left behind. That's what that whole thing is about, right? That they're going along in life and all of a sudden all the Christians were just kind of gone and cars just empty with people, not with people. They were raptured away and everybody else was non-believers left behind, right? The idea is that there will be a rapture experience and then following the rapture experience there will be a period of seven years that will be a period of significant tribulation, trouble. It's going to be a hard time. And if you push that period of tribulation, they actually split it into two periods inside there. It's seven years long, and there's kind of three and a half years of tribulation, and then there's three and a half years of the great tribulation, where things really get even more significant and tougher. And then at the end of that seven-year period of tribulation, there comes the physical battle on earth in Israel, on the plains of Megiddo, the experience of Armageddon. And at the end of that battle of Armageddon, that physical battle of Armageddon, uh, you'll have Jesus uh, setting up his uh, throne, and he will reign on earth, in a physical kingdom on earth, for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, there will be a final rebellion by uh, the powers of evil, which will, of course, be put down and squashed, and Jesus will then establish his kingdom for eternity with final judgment. That's kind of a thumbnail of premillennialism. You see, it's all this periods of time woven together as we move to uh, the end times. Got a handle on that? Okay. If you look at the next one, there's something called historic uh, premillennialism. Uh, and uh, the big difference there is you'll notice there's just not a mu- as much stuff on the timeline, right? And specifically what's missing on the timeline, or at least in that place is a, in the previous one, is the whole rapture experience. Historic premillennialism is not so common, um, and it basically just takes the rapture experience and it puts the rapture experience and the resurrection experience uh, together, uh, and that tribulation takes place during the age of the church, and that there is a thousand-year rule of Jesus here on earth, but that whole uh, rapture experience is tied up in the regular kind of Jesus coming back in a second advent and the resurrection of the just, and then the kingdom, and then revolt, and then the final judgment. There's also something called post-millennialism. Post-millennialism is a whole lot different in that you'll notice the age of the church is really long, and then there is a physical 1,000 years uh, millennium, a rule uh, of Christ. Uh, the difference is that post-millennium believes that during the age of the church, the church is going to do so well in evangelizing that the culture, that the world is eventually going to become under the influence of the church. And that the 1,000 years rule is not necessarily a 1,000 year rule of Jesus sitting on the throne physically here, but rather it is the rule of Jesus through the church. The church is going to do such an awesome job of reaching people that finally the church is going to become the only game in town, is basically the understanding. And so there will be this thousand years rule, there will be the final revolt, and then there will be the second coming and the rapture and everything tied up together. Then the last viewpoint, are you still with me? The last viewpoint is amillennialism. Amillennialism is probably the most common viewpoint 
especially in mainline Christianity. Okay? Outside of kind of the, the evangelical fundamentalist side of the church, in kind of mainline Christianity, amillennialism is probably the most common viewpoint of interpretation and understanding. What does it say? Basically, it says, look, we're in the age of the church, and in this age, age of the church, we are experiencing already the rule of Christ. The difference is, it's not a physical kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, he said. Not a physical kingdom here on earth, but rather he is ruling through the hearts and minds of his people. That Jesus is ruling as the Lord of each one of our lives. And so, in this age of the church, it is also that time, that millennial time, of the rule of Christ through his people and through his church. And it's also in this age of the church, in this time, that we will experience tribulation. That there's no, like, separate seven years of tribulation, but rather, hey, you know what? Life is just going to have its difficulties. And so there's this understanding that in the age of the church, we will all experience not just the rule of Christ in our lives, but we're also going to experience the challenge of living in a time of tribulation as evil is still loose uh, in the world. And then, of course, there will be a final kind of revolt, a final really difficult time uh, when evil tries to hold on to the world. And then finally, there will be the second coming of Jesus. And at the second coming of Jesus, there will be the rapture of the saints who are living and there will be the resurrection of the saints who are sleeping in Christ. And then there will be final judgment. So there you go. There's the smorgasbord of understanding around trying to figure out well, what is this tribulation thing uh, all about? What is this experience of looking forward uh, to when Jesus comes back? And what happens before that? Um, what is it all about? So I'm going to just let you kind of ponder those things. And you can hold on to that until we get a message series next year on, uh, on the end times. And look at the specific passages uh, around that. What I want to do today, though, is just say, okay, there it is. Right? There's no common agreement about it. But... If you look at the graph, there are some common things, aren't there? Do you notice some common things as you look at all those four views? First of all, I'd point out, do you notice that each view has a time of the age of the church? They all understand there is a time of the age of the church. And we are in it. Why do we need to know this? We need to know this because this is our time. We're in the age of the church. And no matter which viewpoint you go with there in terms of those end times, the understanding is still there that, look, this is, this is the time. There is the age of the church, and we're living uh, in that time. This is important for us to know. Why? Because it reminds us that when it comes to our life, we make, need to make the most of this age. We need to make the most of whatever time we have Right now, if you go to Galatians uh, 2, 2, and I've got it on the screen for you, um, it's not in your notes, uh, because this is a late edition, okay? That sometimes happens. The Holy Spirit just gives you a late edition, okay? So this is Galatians 2, 2. Look what Paul says as he looks at this age of the church, his time. He says, but I went there because God had told me to go. Why did he go there? God told him, go, right? What happens in the age of the church? We're in the age of the church, and God is busy in our world, and God has things for us to do. 
We're in the age of the church. We make mean to make the most of it because this is the time when God is working in our world. God is not distant from us. God is not separate from us. God has intention and God has purpose. And this is the time that we need to take advantage of and do whatever it is God wants us to do. Paul says this is his time. So he went to do whatever God told him to do. What did he do? He said, well, and I went and I explained the good news that I've been preaching to the Gentiles. He went where he had the soul. And what did he do when he was there? Told people about Christ. He kept the first thing, the most important thing, the most important thing, the main thing, the main thing. He went and told people about Christ. This is the age of the church. This is the important time. And we need to go where God wants us to go. And we need to be about the main thing. The main thing is telling people about Jesus Christ. Because we know the end times are coming. Whatever form you take, it's going to happen. Then look what he did. said, Then I met privately with the ones who seemed to be the most important leaders. What was he becoming? An influencer. Wasn't he? He was becoming an influencer. He was saying, this is my time. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to meet with the most important people I can meet with. I'm going to become as influential as I can possibly be for the kingdom of Christ. This is our time. It's the age of the church. We need to do the main thing. Keep the most important thing. Tell people about Christ. And become people of influence who influence people in the kingdom. He ends up, I wanted to make sure that my work in the past and my future work would not be for nothing. Does Paul understand? This is our time. Make it count. This is what it's about. This is the most important thing. Make our life count. Paul wants to make sure that when he gets to whatever end it is that God has in store for him, however God is going to unfold these end times, whatever theory you, you line in, he wants to make sure that his life matters for something. Amen? This is where it's at. We're in the age of the church. We all agree on that. We're in the age of the church. If we're in the age of the church, it means that you and I need to know this and we need to make sure we make the most of every opportunity. That's what Paul said to both the Ephesians and to uh, the Colossians. If you look real quick at Ephesians 5 and then Ephesians or Colossians 4, Ephesians 5 says, Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Sounds like tribulation is happening. And he says, look, make the most. And then Colossians 4, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. What? Make the most of every opportunity. What does Paul seem to want us to get? It's the age of the church. We're in it. We're it. No matter what view you take about how the end times are going to unfold, how tribulation is going to happen, the point for us is we need to make the most of it. Here's the hard part. We make the most of it in a difficult situation. If you look again at the graph and you say, well, what's common in all of these things? What do they all share? Do you notice that as you go down the graphs, as you look at all four of them, do you see that little flamey thing down towards the end? It's on all four of them, isn't it? You know what that little flamey thing says? Before evil lets go of the world, before the evil one is ultimately defeated, the evil one will make a last attempt to take hold of your life and this world. They all share that, don't they? They all share an understanding. We're going to go through tough times. We're going to go through some difficult stuff. This is important for us to know. 
we have to get an understanding as Christ followers that reminds us, listen, being a follower of Christ is not easy stuff. This is not a cakewalk. This is not easy stuff. Following Christ means sacrifice. Following Christ means dedication. Following Christ means you've got to be ready to wade through the difficulties. Following Christ means you do whatever He asks, and sometimes what He asks is really hard stuff. Let's remember those disciples. How did they all die but one? They died persecuted, executed for the cause of Christ. Following Christ is not easy stuff. We get this in the little apocalypse in Matthew, and uh, it's really some interesting language that Jesus used. It's in uh, Matthew uh, 24. If you look at that, he's uh, talking, he says, Someday you'll see the horrible thing in the holy place, just as the prophet Daniel said. Everyone who reads this must try to understand. Not easy, try. If you're living in Judea at that time, run to the mountains. If you're on the roof of your house, don't go inside to get anything. If you're out in the field, don't go back for your coat. It will be a terrible time for women who are experiencing, expecting babies or nursing young children. Keep going, guys. And pray that you won't have to escape in winter or on a Sabbath. This will be the worst time of suffering since the beginning of the world. And nothing this terrible will ever happen again. If God doesn't make the time shorter, no one will be left alive. Does this sound difficult? But because of God's because of God's chosen ones, He will make the time shorter. Someone may say, "Here's the Messiah. Or there He is." Don't believe it. False messiahs, false prophets will come. They'll work great miracles and signs. They'll even try to fool God's chosen ones. Next one. But I have warned you ahead of time. It's important we know this. If you are told that the Messiah is out in the desert, don't go out there. If you are told that he is in some secret place, don't believe it. The coming of the Son of Man will be like lightning that can be seen from the east to the west. Where there is a corpse, there will always be buzzards. Don't you like the simple wisdom of the scriptures? Where there's a corpse, there's always going to be buzzards. It's going to be tough. I mean, we've got to be honest. Jesus is frank with us here, right? We've got to face the reality. We're in the age of the church. We need to make the most of every time. But guess what? It's not going to be easy. If you're listening to preachers out there telling you, you know, prosperity gospel, and following Jesus means everything's going to be great, and you're going to become prosperous and rich, and everything's going to go your way, man, they need to read this, don't you think? No, he's setting out the gauntlet. He's reminding us, take up your cross and... Follow me. Cross hauling is hard work. Cross hauling is hard work. And we understand that when it comes to the kingdom in this age, when it comes to those final times, we are going to face those difficulties. Young people in the room, this is especially important for you to get. Because you're facing tough stuff already and it's only going to get tougher. I mean, folks that are older in the room, don't you look at when you grow, grew up and you compare it to what kids are facing today and say you had it pretty easy? Is it getting tougher? Of course it's getting tougher, right? I mean, I had to worry about whether I was going to go with the guys and drink beer in the back roads and the gravel roads, right? That was my big dilemma. Today, whew, look what our kids face. 
young people, it's going to be tough for you. You just got to stand firm in Christ. You got to, you just got to get grounded in Christ. You got to get, get that framework in your life that says, wait a minute, I'm going to withstand whatever the evil one hauls against me here. Wait a minute, I'm going to be strong enough in Christ to persevere and overcome this. You just got to know this. You just got to know it's going to be tough. The evil one's going to try to get you. The world wants to get you off of Christ. You just got to stand and say, no way. What he refers to here in this text, you'll notice in the very beginning, he said those were the horrible things. The horrible things. You probably wondered, what is he talking about, the horrible things? It was in, was in parentheses there. What Jesus is doing there, and he, he points it out, is that he's referring back to a prophecy that was in Daniel. It's in Daniel 9. If you look at Daniel 9, it says, For one week this foreigner will make a firm agreement with many people, and halfway through this week he'll end all sacrifices and offerings. Then the horrible thing, there it is, that causes destruction will be put there, and it will stay there until the time God has decided to destroy this one who destroys. What's Daniel doing? Daniel's looking forward, he's prophesying, and he's saying, look, a horrible thing is going to happen. What's going to happen is an idol and false worship is going to take place in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, what's really interesting about this was in 70 A.D., in 70 A.D., the Romans marched into Rome to put down a revolt. And when they marched into Rome, they took Roman idols and they put them in the temple of Jerusalem. Now, what's really fascinating is tradition has it that when that happened, all the Christians who remembered what Jesus said, guess what they did? They ran, just like he said. They ran for the hills, just like he said. They got out of Jerusalem as fast as they could. The Jews who stayed, who didn't know Christ, who didn't believe in the word, they stayed and revolted, and the net result was Jerusalem was destroyed. And thousands upon thousands were killed by the Romans. But the Christians, they were safe. Isn't that interesting? What do we know about this? We know the reality is horrible things are going to happen. And false idols are going to try to get into the center of our lives. This is going to be the pressure in our world, especially in our culture, in our world of such great prosperity. It is going to be so tempting for us to hold on to those things that are false instead of holding on to the truth of Jesus Christ. It's going to get harder. Why do we need to know this? We need to know this because it's our time. It is the time of the church. We need to know this because we got to, just like those Christians in Jerusalem, we got to know things are getting tough, be aware of what's going on, and be able to withstand it. Uh, and we need to know some simple things about this whole experience of tribulation and the difficulty that's coming. Number one is we need to know that it's not God's doing, right? I mean, God is involved in it, of course, but it's not God's doing. God is not the one who wanted tribulation. God's not the one who wanted us to go through this tough time. God is not the one who designed us going through difficulty and the challenge of the tough time. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, God doesn't intend to punish us, but wants us to be saved by our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died for us so that we could live with him, whether we are alive or dead when he comes. That's why you must encourage and help each other just as you're already doing. You see, God doesn't want us to experience this challenge and suffering. 
But we must go through this because the evil one is still trying to claim the world. This is not God's doing. The challenges and the sufferings that we're going to experience are there because the evil one is not ready to let go of you. It's not ready to let go of your world. The hope for us, the hope for us is to know that we're not alone. I shared a few weeks ago with you Psalm 23. I just wanted to put it in front of you again. I hope you've been using that over these weeks because it's such a reassuring psalm. We always use it at funerals. Unfortunately, you know, it's not a, just for funerals. It's for today. It's, it's for this awareness that, yes, okay, we're going to go through tribulation. We're going to go through difficult times. And the psalm wants to say to us, listen, no matter what you face, no matter what you go through, the one who is with you is greater than the one that's in the world. He's got a rod, he's got a staff, let that comfort you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to be afraid. He's got a feast for you, and he's going to prepare it for you, even in the middle of all of those enemies that are surrounding you. Is this a word that's good for us? You see, the reality is we need to know this because we need to know that we are not alone in this experience. That as we face these challenges of tribulation, Jesus is willing to face them with us. He showed that to us. Where? On a hill outside Jerusalem when the nails were pounded and he hung on a cross. He said, listen, I'll face it. I'll face whatever you have to face. What does this leave us? It leaves us knowing this reality of tribulation and this difficulty leaves us where, where Paul wants us to be, where Scripture wants us to be, living a life, dealing with the difficulty in hope. Not alone, dealing with the difficulty in in hope. Uh, Paul says in Romans uh, 8, We know that all creation is still groaning and is in pain, like a woman about to give birth. She's recognizing it's going to be difficult. The Spirit makes us sure about what will be in the future. But now we groan silently. While we wait for God to show us that we are His children, this means that our bodies will also be set free, and this hope is what saves us. See, Paul recognizes the difficulty, but he says, listen, it will not last. It will not last. We go through this tribulation, we go through the challenge, no matter what system you follow, we go through the challenge, but we go through it as hopeful people. We don't go through it alone, and we go through it knowing that Jesus Christ is already risen from the dead. And nothing can change that. Jesus Christ is already alive. And nothing can change the promise he makes to us. That he will come back one day and we will be his for absolutely ever. There's nothing you face in your life that can change that truth. Where does it finally leaves us? Last word. It leaves us in 1 Thessalonians 5. I want you to say this with me, right? As you think about tribulation, as you think about difficulty, here's what Paul says to us. Always be joyful and never stop praying. Whatever happens, keep thanking God because of Jesus Christ. That is what God wants you to do. Isn't that awesome? We can accept tribulation. We can accept difficult times. We know God is with us. We understand that He's in us is greater than the one in the world. And we can face it in hope. And in the midst of it all, whatever it is, however it unfolds, we can just be joyful, and whatever happens, we can thank God for Jesus Christ because we know we belong to Him. There will be difficulties. Following Christ is not easy. 
But Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us a word today of hope. We, uh, we acknowledge the truth that we know that times will be hard. We know that following you can be difficult. We know there's temptations of idols being placed in the midst of our lives. We just pray now that uh, as time moves forward, uh, however you choose it to unfold, that we could walk forward faithfully. That we could make the most of this time. That we could make the most of our lives. That uh, we could keep the main thing right there and, and share the gospel with others and become people of influence to help others come to know this truth. Father, prepare us for that end time. Prepare us for that difficult time. Make us strong and steadfast in hope and secure in our faith that we can stand at the end and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. And let's stand in that hope and sing together.